Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Apple Store in Covent Garden, London. Please welcome your host for this evening, Chris Hewitt. Hi everyone. Uh, Exit Through the Gift Shop is of course the Oscar-nominated uh, documentary about the street art scene that marked the directorial debut of a man by the name of Banksy. He may be here today. I'm going to be scrutinising the audience very, very closely indeed. How would I know if it was him anyway? Uh, before we meet the producer and the editor of the documentary, let's take a look at the trailer. Please welcome the producer of Exit Through the Gift Show, Jamie DeCruz. And the editor, Chris King. Welcome. Hello. Um, <laughs> I love that trailer, the world's first street art disaster movie. Uh, who came up with that, that uh, logline for the, for the movie? Uh, it was a joint effort, truly collaborative, like everything about this film. <laughs> so it's been five years now, the, the, the uh, the movie's getting a re-release on uh, a release on iTunes, which is uh, obviously why we're here as well. But five years on, what does this film mean for you? What does it mean for your careers? Exit through the gift shop. As Jamie, let's start with you. What did it, what did it mean for you? Uh, um, well, it's kind of had lots of um, yeah. No, it kind of sent me off in various different directions. So for a few years before I made Exit, I was making Channel Four and BBC Docs, kind of like fairly kind of normal stuff uh -huh. and I was taken out of the picture for a good two three years making exit so I was kind of um, slightly rootless when I came back and I <laughs> ended up starting my own production company so okay. that, that I've kind of you know that I now work for I still make films for Channel 4, BBC etc um, but yeah for myself rather than for a bigger company. Absolutely and Chris? Well I'm not sure it was a launch pad for anything yeah. particular apart from as Jamie says a couple of years of insanity but subsequently I've worked on Senna and Amy most recently. Um, so I've carried on. I've always been a documentary filmmaker, so yeah. I've carried on doing that, really. But is it a film that, that constantly comes up for you? Do people bring it up in conversation? Is it a film that, that you revisit from time to time? I haven't watched it for five years, I have to say. Probably, have you watched it? No, I haven't watched it for a very long time. <laughs> but Are the memories too vivid? On the odd event like this, where I see a clip of it, I always find it incredibly funny. And I yeah. remember how funny it is, because it's, an, it's a really funny film. And that's why we had great fun, largely, 
in the cutting room making it, really, because it was a gas. Joy and pain, like most good things <laughs> in life. Um, no, actually, that's true. You watch the trailer, you think, oh, I might actually watch that when I, when I get home. I won't, but it, you know, <laughs> one day I will. One day you will. So, so tell me how it came about, because you, you, it, you almost fell down a rabbit hole in a weird way with this one. It began with you, uh, Jamie. Yeah, I'll, I'll, it's a very long story. I'm going to make it very short, but in a we've, nutshell... It's a very long slot, so that's... <laughs> in a nutshell, what happened was Banksy, in the real world, had actually, in real life, met this amazing guy, Terry Goetta, and had kind of, in a weird way, kind of, you know, kind of formed a relationship, a bond with him, um, and realised that this guy had an amazing t treasure trove of film, you know, uh, video cassettes he'd been making for about 10 years. Um, and he was, without giving anything away for people who haven't seen Exit, he was expecting Terry to come up with this amazing kind of oeuvre, the, the, the kind of the ultimate documentary about street art, and was underwhelmed by the results. And at that point, he um, phoned me up out of the blue. I had previously known him um, a long time before, and told me that um, there was this amazing guy we needed to make a film about, and that's where, that's where it started, me being uh, told to meet the amazing guy a Frenchman called Terry Goetta. So, out of the blue, completely out of the blue, you get this phone call saying, I want to make a film with you. Yep. Yeah. I mean, had any plans to make something like that before? Or? Nope. Yeah. I think it was a trust issue, wasn't it? Because he was, he's obviously, Banksy's quite guarded about his identity being revealed to the public, but you had maybe done something with him? Yeah. And, and, and had been very cool about it, and he trusted you. Basically, about 10 years earlier, so this was in 2008 when I got the phone call out of the blue, and probably 10, around 10 years earlier, I'd kind of met him, hung out with him a bit. He wasn't particularly, he wasn't at all well known, um, and we'd, we'd done a few things together, and, um, and then he'd never heard from me ever again, which I think meant that I was um, not going to be, you know, trying to sell. Because obviously what happened in the intervening 10 years, he'd become a global icon. Yeah. Um, and I think probably um, that's quite difficult for him because people that he's engaged with in the past have, you know, got work, so they're now trying to sell for lots of money or they might know who he really is or whatever. And there's always, it's, a very, it's a complicated relationship. And I think my, um, my big asset was that he'd never heard a peep out of me. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's like a murder. <laughs> So yeah, I, I was just busy doing other stuff, making documentaries about chickens, amongst other things. And um, yeah, so um, it was it was a good it was it was a real surprise to, to be um, asked to you know, a was I interested in making a film with him? Which obviously the answer was yes. And B um, would I be interested in making a film about a completely unknown Frenchman called Terry? <laughs> to which the answer was I'm not sure. So what convinced you? Meeting Terry. Okay. And at what point did you bring Chris on? Uh, I can't remember, you came and met me, we went and had a coffee somewhere and you... I mean, I was intrigued by doing anything about Banksy, because I thought it was something... There was, there was, you know, he was a kind of enigmatic figure and I, I think I knew him through some friends of mine as well, knew of him through some friends of mine, and I thought it would be a kind of interesting proposition. The Terry side of it really only came up when you gave me a sort of suitcase full of tapes and said, right, let's have a let's start and have a look at what's in here. It isn't the best pitch in the world, is it? Because if you say to someone, like, you know, a really highly respected and in-demand editor like Chris, 
hey, let's make a film about Banksy. Well, we're going to go and have coffee and talk about it. But <laughs> then it, the conversation starts being, well, it's not really about Banksy. It's about this French guy who I, apparently he's amazing and he's got all this film, but I don't know what it is. I haven't seen any of it. So it was, it was a ridiculously convoluted and, you know, it, it wouldn't have made sense. If we were pitching it to a film company or, or to anyone, sure. it wouldn't have made sense. But because it had a genuine, let's see what happens. And I think, I guess, Chris was intrigued enough to delve into these suitcases that started arriving in London. But I think there was, there was the ambition, Banksy had the ambition early on, that there might still be a truly great street art film in Terry's Rushes. He'd been around street artists for decades, or at least a decade, I don't know if it was decades, filming the biggest people as they rose to become prominent artists in the field. And so, without having looked at all the material, Banksy still felt, I know, the, I know he was there when, you know, Shepard Fairey did that piece. So that's street art history, there must be a film there. And so our initial approach to it was, is there a conventional street art film in these suitcases full of unmarked DV tapes? And there were hundreds and hundreds of them, and none of them had anything written on them. Or if they did, it was enigmatic, scrappy, a B or a C or a date or a name, none of which meant anything to us, really, at the time. So we just sort of dived in. And the answer to that big question quite early was no, there isn't a conventional street art film in these suitcases full of DV tapes because the way Terry shot, I mean, everything about his involvement with the material was weird and strange. He wandered in, he set cameras up that didn't actually cover the action that he was trying to film and wandered in. There'd be a shot at the back of his head for 40 minutes. Some of the tapes had no sound on them. None of it really made much sense. So it was kind of detective work to work out really what any of it meant for us. And that was really the first weeks were spent scratching our heads thinking, I don't know what any of this is. So just, so just to give some context, I mean, how many people here have actually seen the film? So you know that you know, Terry went around and he filmed pretty much constantly anything and everything, everyone he, he was with. Uh, so he had, I guess, hundreds. I mean, how many hours of footage had he accrued over the years? No one knows. Uh, uh, yeah. we, we, we have all, we've been asked the question a lot. We, don't, we still don't know, even knowing <laughs> that we ought to know. I, I would say about a thousand. Right. I think we probably had access to about a thousand. Yeah, but... But there was also another unknown amount of thousands of hours, including some which... Um, Terry enigmatically told us were bricked inside a wall in a house that he used to live in. So there, I mean, there could be another two or three or four thousand hours. I mean, we don't know. We actually yeah. don't know. I mean, we were quite relieved that it stopped at a thousand, really, <laughs> to be honest. That was enough for us to deal with. Was that a cap you imposed yourselves? No, we just got bored of asking him to send more tapes over. When we... The, the, the thing that Banks did early on was convince Terry to let um, him have, have the tapes. And... Terry, has, I mean, for anyone who's seen the film will, will understand that Terry has a, a deeply, um, a very complicated emotional attachment, you know. It's not just that they're his tastes, any filmmaker, filmmaker, any person who had spent that long making that many hours of film would not give them up easily, but he's got a very, very complicated and emotional attachment. So to, just to let them out of it, it was, a, it was a real struggle, and I guess that, that's how Banks got the ball rolling, was by persuading Terry to let not us, but to let him have those tapes. And he then suggested to Terry that, you know, but while we're doing that, maybe you should, why don't you, um, you know, make some art? Yeah, so, um, how do you impose a structure on this? Chris, as, a, as an editor, how do you sit down and actually turn this into a, 
into a film? It was uh, a process of, of messing about, actually, uh, and, and just literally looking at things and putting them together and having a bit of fun. I mean, simultaneous to our first few weeks was the Cannes Festival, if you remember, which Banksy had organised in the arches down by Waterloo Station, which was a street art festival, and a lot of the artists that Terry had filmed were there. But um, Terry himself had come over for that to try his hand at being a street artist. Uh, you know, he followed Banksy's suggestion that he'd do a bit of street art to the max um, and was trying to launch himself as a street artist. So while that was happening, you were off doing a bit of filming there. Yeah, that was the same time. And at the same time, he'd also booked out that, you know... Massive. Urban Square Foot Warehouse in L.A. <laughs> Uh, I mean, and, and the, I mean, I'm sure we'll be asked about this later, so I don't want to kind of like, you know, but you know, the whole question of is it real, etc. And you know, the, the very first time I met Terry, he was immediately amazing. And if you make docs like we do, you know, it's actually quite, you know, it's a real fun to find someone who's genuinely just brilliant on camera all the time and has no side, has no agenda, has no ability to turn turn it off. Um, so I was immediately overwhelmed by him and then he told me within minutes of meeting him that he had this 50,000 square you know, I, I just thought the guy was completely insane mm. um, but we, we all kind of fell in love with him I, I guess within hours of meeting him and so at the time when he was doing the Cannes Festival in League Street which was the big street art festival in 2008 I think he was also planning and he had all these minions working for him with, on this giant warehouse in LA and he was really under pressure to get back there and he was you know, pulling his whiskers out and saying, I, I have uh, 2,000 paintings to make uh, in the next three <laughs> weeks. Uh, and, you know, so, and so I then went to LA with him and started filming that. Yeah. And whilst Chris was literally kind of waiting for these hours and hours and suitcases and suitcases of tapes to turn up. So it was, I mean, it was, you asked about how, I mean, there was no structure. It was just chaos. <laughs> and but I think what we, what we, what we definitely realised was that Rather than it being a film about street art, it was Terry's story. Yeah. Because he was so brilliant on camera. I think I remember cutting something together uh, just for fun, really, and finding some really cheesy accordion, French accordion music, and having him wandering around New York buying materials to go out and do street art. And he was hilarious. The guy, the American hardware store owner, didn't understand a word he was saying. He was going, I want a bucket. You have a bucket? And the guy's going, what, is, what, what are you saying? I want to book it. Can I have a bucket? It went on for ages. So I put accordion music under that and cut this rather silly five, ten minute thing of him in his efforts to be a street artist. It was really idiosyncratic. It was very Terry. And we all really, really laughed at it. And, uh, and then we thought, yeah, okay, he can, we, we can probably do something that's like that, but much longer and, and actually tell Terry's story and via... Terry's story, you'll learn as much about street art as you ever want to know because he intersected with his bizarre relationship with street art with all the biggest names and the biggest moments and the pivotal moments that, you know, and he was right there at the genesis of this kind of new, exciting sort of art form that was coming out. So it was, Terry was up front in all our thoughts, basically. The film's going to be about Terry and everything else will flow from him. And once you have that, the structure starts to, to suggest itself, really. Yes. Although we didn't know what the end of the film was. I mean, we didn't even know what the beginning of the... We didn't really. <laughs> we just waded in, really, and started putting it together. We had a middle, yeah. So it was kind of chaotic. It wasn't a, at all a conventional 
approach to, to documentary making. Yeah, I, I think actually it's genuinely a unique space to be in creatively because for most of what we do, we're making a film for Channel 4 or BBC and you've got, you know, there's a plan, there's a schedule, there's a budget. It's a thing that's going to one day be delivered. With this, we were literally working in the dock. And even in the world of feature docs, which is the other main space that filmmakers work in, you know, you might have a passion that you've been, you know, you might spend 10 years making it with your own money and a bit of money, only one there. This was none of those things. It was, we were basically just working blind, mm -hmm. not knowing whether there would be an outcome or what the outcome would be if there was one. And, and with the ambition at the very early stages was literally um, from Banksy was, look, you know, if this ends up being a funny little, or, or a great little 10 minute YouTube doc about some moments of street art, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, did, did Banksy uh, have an agenda in a way? Was it something he wanted to say with the film? Did he sit down and talk about that with, with you guys? Not up front. Yeah. No. I mean, like, as Jamie said, everything emerged pretty organically as we were going along. And it became obvious as we saw that the, the further down the line it went and Terry and his career had launched and he'd had this huge show in L.A. and the whole thing had been so wrong basically it felt wrong it had been so all the things that conventional street art hadn't been street art had been about giving things away for free uh, you know occupying public spaces taking public space back from corporate you know so many different things but artistic and free were probably the two main components of it and terry was making enormous sums of money publicizing it humongously putting himself as a as a figure up front in it all so we, were, we knew that without much effort a kind of the story of how a, an underground movement could easily become corrupted and commercialized um, was there. I mean, it was there for the taking. Terry was playing that story out right in front of us, and clearly Banksy could see that happening as well. Banksy's views of it were quite clear. He told us, you know, he would talk frequently about how the commercialization of most underground scenes ended up destroying them. Um, you know, he'd seen his pieces being cut off walls and selling at auction. He didn't approve of that particularly. So there was a seam of, you know, another level to the film, which was about the movement and about art and, and commerciality that, you know, he was obviously keen to get in there and Jamie and I were, were working in all the time. And uh, there's another level to that as well. And uh, you mentioned it earlier, Jamie, that uh, even today I went on uh, several message boards about the film and there's still people out there who are saying it's a hoax and I have found proof that it's a hoax and I found proof that, that Terry was a creation of Banksy's even though he's a real person who <laughs> exists in LA. Um, did that surprise you in a way that, that that came out of the movie that people thought oh this is a Banksy prank in a way? Not really. Yeah. We, we, were, we were kind of, we, we had an early indica indication of it. Um, we, we, we had um, a, a really good friend of ours who's a really good filmmaker, makes proper docs, came in and looked at something and just said, no one's ever going to believe this. And he knew, <laughs> he, he, he was the guy that, you know, he knew because he'd seen us in the edit, in the cutting room for a year or eight months by that point. And he just looked and said, no one's ever going to believe this. Yeah. Um, and that was someone who knew it was real. And like, so, we, and also because, I mean, it's, it's a kind of weird thing, but because Banksy's known as, and I think in a, in a strange way, kind of unfairly, you know, in, in, on the most kind of purest level, Banksy is, like any artist, he's just 
making his message available to the world through the medium that he chooses to do it with. And you know, it's, it's everyone else that goes, oh, he's this prankster, he's a hoaxer, he's a mischievous chameleon. He's basically just an anonymous guy putting his work in the world, and that's really what he's doing. And it's everybody else that labels... You no, know, remember, one of the things I think is quite compelling about the film is that the rise of Banksy, but also the rise of street art, the rise of graffiti culture, happened in sync with the rise of social media and celebrity culture. And the idea of people doing interesting stuff and not wanting to be known by about, you know, not wanting their faces to be known, not wanting their names to be known, was quite intriguing. So it was all, all these things were happening at the same time. And just, just going back to one of the earlier things you raised was that I think in, in some sense the agenda for Banksy was I mean, remember, he's had probably every filmmaker in the world trying to make a film about him for years. Yeah. And in one way, making this film kind of gets people off his back because what he, one thing he always felt, and, and, I, and he didn't, I don't think he meant this in a, in, a, in a cruel way at all, but he said, you know, you, for any movement or any film about a movement, you need, you need the guy that's going to fall off the ladder. You need the clown. You need the, you need the, the prankster. Yeah. And that's what Terry gave us. So in a, in a kind of quite fundamental way, Terry kind of became the front person for this entire movement and that was you know that became the street art film which i think was the ultimate agenda and we were aware as jamie said i mean we would watch it and we would you know the story is literally unbelievable when you when you watch it if you know the story even if you knew and we'd watch the events and we'd say no one's going to believe i mean it's, it is literally an unbelievable narrative the way that terry started and why he did it and the way he ended up and the and the ramifications of what he did it's, it's a once-in-a-lifetime kind of experience. But I think what added to that was that, clearly, as an anonymous street artist, Banksy was never going to do any publicity for the film. And so it opened in a kind of a vacuum. And quite soon, some critics wrote positive things about it, but said, but of course, it could all be a prank. And that, was the, that became the narrative. And quite soon, when it opened in America, for instance, people said, oh, it's that prank film, it's the fake film, it's not real. And that ran on for quite a long time until we... And, and just weirdly, it came out at the same time as Catfish and uh, I'm Still Here, you know, yeah. the one, yeah. like Whacking yeah. Phoenix. Yeah. So there, there was suddenly a movement of fake documentaries. It wasn't just us, it was two others. Yeah. And obviously, we, we had nothing to do with those other two films. And, and in fact, whether those are real or not is of no concern to us. But we were being made to kind of defend our film. And then... And then Partly it was like, well, do we defend it? Why should we defend it? I mean, I think anyone that knows anything about film would know instantly that you simply couldn't make Terry up. I mean, it, yeah. it would be too hard. You'd be, I mean, t to make Terry up, you would be winning Oscars for screenwriting <laughs> and feature films, not for, you know, you, wouldn't, it, you would be out of the documentary category. Um, but yeah, it was, it was seen as a kind of, you know, a, a, I guess you find what you're looking for, don't you? And for, for me and Chris sitting there, we, we were literally going, this is unbelievable. Mm. Um, so for people who, don't, who weren't in on the process, that becomes a therefore it's not true. And there was one example early on during, well, it was a year into the cut when we were nearly finished. And do you remember when the Madonna album came out? Yeah. So basically, Terry was commissioned by, <laughs> by Madonna to do her greatest hits album sleeve. And at this point, we're both thinking, frankly, when this film comes out, it's all over for Terry. <laughs> <laughs> He'll, the poor, I mean, we, we felt, you know, we really liked him as a person, and I felt a bit sad about that, a bit guilty. You know, like, oh God, all those people who bought Mr. Brainwash is, they're gonna, they're gonna feel really silly. <laughs> um, and then, lo and behold, Madonna commissioned her, you know, greatest hits album. And of course, people assume that that's this hit, the hidden hand of Banksy, and, clever, cunning in the butt, but it just actually happened.
And of course, the film had no detrimental effects on the commercial value of Mr. Brainwash's work whatsoever. Quite the opposite. Um, I think the only damage to his uh, income was the photographer who did the Run DMC photo, who successfully sued him. But I understand Terry wrote a check for a large sum of money without pausing at all. <laughs> Millions, I think. Do you have a favourite conspiracy theory about the film? I like uh, the idea that uh, Terry and uh, Banksy are the same person. Yeah, I mean, honestly, there were so many. We, we spent months having these... Some people, people were quite angry. I remember one screening in LA where that guy started shouting at us and it was... Even recently, I, I, I was in a meeting for a film I'm trying to say at the moment and someone in the meeting started shouting at me. as like, well, what, you know, you, you know, of course you know all about that because you're, you know, you're the master of hoaxing and I'm like, well, I'm just not. <laughs> You know, it's, it's, it's kind of weirdly flattering, but it's also it's also quite annoying because yeah. you know you don't want to be called a liar. No, and we were very pleased at the end that we'd managed to make something through absolutely bizarre circumstances that rang very true and was actually a very honest film. It's one of the most honest films we've ever made because we were literally cutting it as the events were happening. It was almost like news. Terry was going out and doing this stuff. It was coming in and we were forming it into sequences and, and then the film was finished. And, and, and we were quite happy that it did have this other level to it that you know, spoke about street art and commerciality and, and all that. And we were, we were quite happy to talk about that. And so for it, people to dismiss it as just a bit of silly fun, pranking, trying to pull the wool over your eyes, felt like it was reducing it somewhat. I think Banksy felt the same as well. Um, and, and when it came to certainly people started to say it could be in the... Um, it could get nominated for some awards. It was very, made very plain to us that that wasn't going to happen until the Oscars people in particular, were, the Academy, were convinced that it was actually a genuine documentary. So we ended up having to do quite a lot of explaining and to talk like this to people who said, look, we're not, it's not going to get nominated unless we believe it's real. OK, wow. I mean, it did get nominated in the end, so that was fine, but, yeah, I mean... It was all quite convoluted I and mean, fun, but very strange. I think my favourite um, conspiracy sort of angle was that quite a lot of people think that, we, or that Banksy is so powerful that he can manipulate the past so that all of that stuff from the early 90s, like, you know, with I know, Liam Gallagher at the age of 31 or whatever, you know, clearly in the past, yeah. he thinks that people have actually alleged that we created all that backstory either over 10 years, so we spent 10 years doing it, or that, you know, he's so powerful he can kind of CGI people into, <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, it's just incredible. I mean, you know, we, we were lucky to have, have Terry and have those suitcases of amazing footage and, uh, you know, and, 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 and it is what it is. The film is what it is. Mm. And of course, it was nominated for an Oscar. Um, what was that experience like, Jamie? You actually went to the ceremony, didn't you? Yeah, we um, a bunch of us went. Chris, yeah. we all went. Um, kind of had an amazing time. Um, it is kind of surreal, I have to say. I mean, it is kind of surreal because that's you know the kind of I guess the ultimate experience. But it was uh, genuinely. Um, I, funnily enough. That year's Oscars, I don't know if you remember, I think, was it 2011, right? It was actually a really dull Oscars. There's no, <laughs> 10, was it? Anyway, there, there's normally a, a story about the Oscars. There's always like, no, is this person really going to present it and what will they say or will that film win? And th th that year was quite a dull year and the only real story was, 
is Banksy going to show up? And I had the very bizarre experience of being warned by the, the, by the, the, the kind of, you know, the guy, the boss, <laughs> the actual kind of Oscar to me, who basically said to me in no uncertain terms, like, you know, you better not mess with us. And wow. We were like, we're just, we're just here with our film, you know. But it was a, it was a, a, a very surreal experience and also, you know, fun. It was good. But didn't, I, I mean, am I breaking the code of immersive if I tell what the actual plot was? What was the plot? The plot with uh, Jim, the uh, the guy that the homeless. I think guy. I think that has to remember. I don't know. I can barely remember it. Well, yeah. I mean, I think there was a plan if we, in the unlikely event that we won. But okay. If you were if, if sort of the. But it wasn't Banksy. Banksy was yeah. never going to be anyway. I mean, one of the things about how he operates is that when he does anything like a, you know like a big event or or whatever like Disneyland, you know, recently. I mean, he's not going to be anywhere near that because mm. he doesn't want to be spotted. He doesn't want to be spotted. I mean, if, he, if he wanted to be in public, he would have been years ago. Are you still in touch with Banksy? When was the last time you, you saw him? I ran into him maybe at the end of last year. I ran into him on the golf course. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We had cocktails. <laughs> and Jamie, do you still keep in touch? Uh, I've been a bit involved with Disneyland recently. Um, yeah, so... But, I, yeah, I'm... We, 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 we both do other things outside of the world of Banksy, but it's always fun to dip your toes back in. <laughs> Every now and again. Uh, OK, we've got time for some questions now from the audience. So if you... Yep, there's a hand that's gone up. A couple of hands have gone up right away. Fantastic. Hi, my name's Louis. Um, a couple of positives. Uh, this uh, exit is one of my favourite documentary films. Um, I watch it all the time. I've probably watched it more times than you guys have. Uh, and, and Thierry's actually a really nice guy. I met Thierry when he did his London show a few years back and he, and he took time out to talk to me. He's actually a really nice person. I'm not a big fan of his artwork, to be honest with you. Uh, and, and I think what you said about how commercial now street art's become, do you, do you think the, f the film's guilty of making street art less affordable than it used to be? You know, Banksy's prices are so inflated now and it's probably very unlikely that Banksy will never, probably will never do another um, run of prints. I mean, do you think the film's been guilty of doing that? I think, I mean, there's a sequence in the film which shows, well, there are two sequences. There's an early sequence where you see Banksy dumping the telephone box in Soho Square. Just, that's it. That was it, street art done. His, his piece was done. And then subsequently you see it selling for $500,000, I think it was, at Sotheby's. That process of hyperinflation had already happened. Street art had already gone over to the dark side. So I don't think our film, I think if anything, our film reminded people of the honest and, uh, origins of it and, the, and the, the reasons why people set out to do street art in the first place. I'd hope that it didn't, it didn't add to you know, the hyperinflation in the art market, or certainly in the street art market. But you know, there were people, there were certainly, lo there, there are many, many people who are making money out of street art still flipping things and doing that. I, I, I don't think we contributed to the commerciality of it. No, people do that, don't they? I mean, pe people, are, people are insane. We're all insane. We all, we all buy into hype and bubbles and, you know, it's, you know, when you see how people react to the world of street art, they're reacting about, you know, can they make some money? Can they pick this up off the street for free? Or can they saw it off a walk? Is there money in it? And that's not what it's about. And, but the fact that people are making money out of it is, I, I think, infects us all. But I, I very much believe that the film reflects that and didn't cause it. Well, that was clearly something on, on Banksy's mind. I mean, the, the, the title 
itself is about the commercialization of street art and, and art itself. I mean, um, is that, did he talk to you about the, the title and, and his ideas behind, behind that? And were there any alternative titles, in fact? Alternative titles? I remember one. <laughs> I don't know if I'm allowed to say it, though. Uh, I mean, it basically, it would be asterisk, 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 asterisk. There were <laughs> three, uh, yeah. I'll admit, I wasn't a fan of Exit Through the Gift Shop as a title, okay. which I now see as a really brilliantly inspired yeah. title. At the time, I just thought it didn't play well. Um, I mean, it kind of does sum it up, and it is, it is a thing, right? You know, you go to a museum or a theme park or whatever, you do literally... It. I mean, I remember years ago taking my kids to... Battersea Park Zoo and being really annoyed that you couldn't leave without going through a gift <laughs> shop, which is, you know, it's kind of annoying, isn't it? Because they funnel you, yeah. Yeah, it's just, yeah. what more naked uh, commercialism can there be than forcing you through a kind of alley of consumerism? Full of yeah. kid bait. Yeah, it's kiddie bait. You know, it's horrible. It's like, you know, it's... So actually, I think it was a, a great title, but I don't... I mean, God, we must have had millions of... Millions of alternates. Okay, there was uh, some other people over here with, with questions. Thank you. Um, the style of the film is so vibrant and the fun you had is very, very clear. Um, but I'd love you, could you talk a bit more about the uh, process of cinematography and into edit because it's just joyous? Uh, Chris. <laughs> it was so ramshackle that to talk about it in those kind of broken down terms is quite difficult. It was. Basically, our only thing was that we're telling Terry's story. So that led us down into strange ways of putting the film together that weren't necessarily conventional. But we always thought it is supposed to be funny. So if there was ever an opportunity to have a joke for him to fall over, to spill paint, to run into a wall, to fall off a ladder, we knew that was in. And I suppose once you start with that approach, and we knew that we were... We wanted the audience to laugh, so the music and everything else fell in with that. You know, we wanted the audience to have permission to think this is a funny character and not to take it apparently seriously at the start. Hence, we kept that kind of accordion music in that I played with quite early. That then became a theme. So musically, we then started to have those scenes. We were keen just to try and do something that felt organic and funny and real and because it was such an unbelievable story and we could see that the audiences were going to find it, you know, we're going to be in disbelief at a lot of the things that were going on. We thought, well, we're just going to send it all up and have fun with it. And literally, their jaws are going to hit the, the floor anyway, so we might as well have fun and, and bump that up. As far as cinematography goes, I mean, Terry's cinematography is so lamentable uh, that a lot of work had to be done to wrangle still frames, to stabilise shots, to refocus shots. Uh, we actually degraded some of the better stuff that Jamie and other camera people shot when they were out covering the LA shot, uh, the LA show. We slightly softened it, we added fake wobble to it a little bit so that it matched with Terry's. Otherwise it would feel like you'd get seasick and then bonk, you'd be straight and there'd be a locked off shot. It almost knocked you out of your seat in the cinema. So we actually did a bit of technical work to mess up some of the better shot stuff so it matched with Terry's. Um, I mean, the whole style, it was just, it felt organic. It was, it was great fun, and there were serious points to be made, but we thought if you make a serious point lightly and with a joke, you're going to get away with it much better and audiences will like it. We, we kind of knew that 
we would get reactions from people that two days after they'd watched it, they'd go, hang on, and we'd get a text message, or we'd get a phone call saying, but hang on, but now... And they, they would inspire people to have a little thought about art or about, you know, was he a real artist, wasn't he? Was that real, wasn't it real? But how did that happen? And so we knew there was a delayed effect, but, yeah, I mean, it's just... It, we tried to make it as fun and lively and, and as not a serious art film as we could possibly manage. It's a, it's a very tight, I think it's 86 minutes, Yep. the film. Was there a much longer cut at one point? No, because the first thing Chris said on day one, uh, well, it probably wasn't on day one, it was really when it started looking like it was going to be a film rather than nothing, was Chris was adamant that it couldn't be longer than, was it 90, 90. minutes? Yeah. It, and, and, I, and I said, but why? And he's like, because no one's going to care after 90 minutes. <laughs> and you were quite right. And, and, you know, there is a thing in, especially in feature docs, they can be quite indulgent. I mean, this, wasn't, this didn't start off as a feature doc, which is what it became, but that world of feature docs, people, because they've worked on their passion project for 11 years, they think it's okay for it to be three and a half hours long. No one else does. So, yeah, it was... The, in, I guess the more important truth about that is that the film could have been a lot longer, and obviously there were lots, lots of things we could have done, but finally, in, in a weird sort of fundamental way, the film was always kind of going to be what it was because there wasn't much more happening than what... The story is amazing and, and ridiculous and unpredictable. But, I mean, one thing is that, you know, people think that because we had thousands of tapes, there was an infinity of stories about Terry. But that's not true. The story of Terry is the story of Terry. And we were just lucky that because he's so uh, incredible with his filming, it's on camera. Yeah, but that is his story. You know, we do follow his arc, his genuine arc in life, not as a feature film but as, a, as a documentary so the film was kind of never going to be like you know five parts or four hours or there's not a sequel <laughs> i just wanted to ask um from the point where banksy brought you in how hands-on was he with this and did you ever feel at any point like maybe he was subtly pulling strings and did you ever feel maybe like you were actually because i know you mentioned that you dislike the idea that you're lying to you'd be lying to people do you ever feel that maybe that you were kind of being hoaxed Puppets. as well? <laughs> yes, yes. He like pawns. Pulling the strings. <laughs> nah. Quite candidly. No, I mean, as I say, it was also organic. He was in a lot. You know, he was in and out. I mean, he's a busy man. He was doing lots of other stuff at the same time. But, you know, he was frequently in with us in the customer room, watching stuff, making suggestions, working on sequences, all that. So he's never made a film before. You know, he had had people record things that his his hits but um uh he was very open and candid and fine so no i mean there, there really wasn't time for any kind of manipulation or any of this kind of subtle coded stuff that other people have thought at all and we definitely don't think that we were kind of hoodwinked it happened as exactly as we described but he was very involved very involved all the way through you see, I was, uh, I was just thinking that about, you know, Thierry Guetta, what he did about, your film was made five years ago. What I found, it has more relevance today than it did because of the celebrity culture and all that. Now, talking about another crazy Frenchman again, uh, French person, have you been approached to do anything about Vivian Meyer? Vivian Meyer? Yes. The photographer? Because, yes. Well, the guy made the documentary about her. No, no, I, I'm not talking the missionary documentary by Alan Yentob. 
you have something in your line of editing and it's restructuring. Because I find Vivian Meyer and Thierry Guetta are the same people in some ways, hoarders. Yep. It's, it just, you say the joys of filming, mm. we got to have end product at all. Yeah. Because no, I think that's a very good observation. I mean, I, did you see Vivian Meyer, Finding Vivian Meyer? It's a lovely little film, and, um, and I probably, I, I mean, I absolutely agree with you. Oh, there this was the woman in New York? Yeah, who's, who's who was a nanny. discovered, yeah. like... 34. Yeah, Absolutely, yeah, yeah, and she yeah, went yeah. out. So, and she yeah, was secretly. The difference is her, her her photographs, her art is beautiful and extraordinary. Terry's wasn't. No, you see, no, no. That's very that, subjective. Very <laughs> no, you see that the whole point I'm making. I, I, I think the point. Well, one point I agree with you on. If this is the point you're making, is that I think, and Chris will disagree with me. Five years on, I'm now firmly of the opinion that Terry is a genuine artist. Yeah. He really is an artist. He doesn't know he's an artist. Well, he does know he's an artist. He's not an artist in the way that we like to think of artists, but he falls, for me, firmly in that category of outsider art, unschooled, untutored, unkind of planned in, in many ways. And I think there's something about Terry that, for me, is the mark of an artist. It's, he's compulsive, and it's uncontrollable, and he makes, and he makes, and he makes. And we can sit there and go, it's all a, it's all a bit rubbish. Or plagiarised. Yeah, or copied. <laughs> or yeah. copied. Um, but frankly, I think that there, ter Terry, I think, I think history will, see, will ha have a kinder view of Terry than we have. Yeah, no, listen, I, he's not calculating, I'll give you that, definitely. He hasn't planned anything, apart, he just runs on instincts, and, and, and it's the craziest instinct you could possibly get. Hi. Hi. Um, just a quick question, the Disney scene was really, really funny in that film. Um, what other challenges, because obviously they would have prosecuted you if you, along with that scene, if, it, if they went ahead with that. Did you have any other challenges doing that particular scene? Well, the, the, just to be clear, that was way before we were involved. So, because that, that scene where, for anyone who hasn't seen the film, it follows Terry and Banksy on this incredible escapade, this kind of mission they go on in Disneyland in, in, in California. Um, and it's actually, a, it's quite a, you know, it's a suspenseful and kind of compelling kind of point in the film. It's also important in the film because it's where Terry and proves himself to Banksy that he's a man who can be trusted. But yeah, I mean, in answer to your question, we, 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 we were literally dealing with the rushes for that. We had, they'd recorded that maybe two or three years or five years, I can't remember, earlier. Um, and it was a great scene to cut. We were obviously keenly aware of the legal pitfalls of that. Um, and the lawyers who then, you know, as the film got nearer to actually, A, being a real film and B, it might actually come out, then that, those kind of concerns become more real. So those were certainly considered. I'm not sure, I mean, there, was, there wasn't really big challenges legally, I don't think, um, nah. or kind of morally, or... I mean, I guess for us, in a, in a way, our challenge was to represent Terry fairly, and um, one thing we were concerned about early on, and, and I mean this with the best kind of intentions, is that we were, at one point... I mean, it sounds... I don't mean... It, we were sort of worried about Terry's mental state. <laughs> um, so, you know, we thought, we, as, as people that are, you know, trying to be responsible filmmakers, we didn't want to make a film that lots of people would laugh at about this guy who has... Who's doesn't, he's not aware that what he's doing is funny, but I think as time went on, I think we became... Well, what did he say when you showed it to him? And with, uh, with, uh, that, with that cautious, <laughs> you showed, we showed it as you do to most of your contributors. You give them a chance to watch it and give their notes and come back. And, you know, and as Jamie said, there was some concern about how he was going to react. And what did he say? Uh, he said, uh, it is the best film I have ever seen in my whole life. <laughs> so there uh, I think from that point, we were, okay... 
Terry's on, Terry's on board. That is a fantastic note on which to end. That's all the time we have. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks for your questions. And thank you, Chris King and Jamie DeCruz. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.